It's time for Reads and Weeds, hosted and created by Shelley Smith. For each episode, Shelley and her guests read a book, and then they smoke weed and talk about it. Here's your host, oh, Shelley Smith. A minute. No, this is how I do it. Welcome to Reads and Weeds. We're doing Reads and Weeds. We are here. <laughs> We're, We're here. Thing. We're moving Shelley the thing around. is back after quite a hiatus because COVID got bad again, and it's December 2020, and the last show I did was three was October. I didn't do any in November. Because nobody can get together anymore because they made new rules. And then I had a recorder that I hope is working right now. Let's hope. <laughs> Let's hope. And I'm with Paul Gordon. Say hi. Hi. Super pleased to be here well, on Reads and Weeds for yeah, the first time. Yeah. It's pretty great. And we've been not stalling. We, we've been focused on doing this book for a while. Yes. For a couple months. That is true. You told me it was your favorite book. I did. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. And I read it really quick, but then the recorder and procrastination and Halloween and Thanksgiving excuses, excuses. (laughs) To be fair, you you put procrastination right after the recorder. Uh, I, I don't think that there has been procrastination as much as there has been a tiny learning curve. Tiny. Tiny. The tiniest. Well, you know me. I'm an optimist. I am a, <laughs> right. I'm a hope spreader. <laughs> hope <I'm> spreader. A, <laughs> that's what they call a me. bright cider, that's, if you will. That's on my card. <laughs> that's, I should just get a card that says Paul Gordon, bright cider. Bright cider. Hey, <laughs> let's, let's fit Paul some bright sides of this, huh? You get to learn technical shit right now because there isn't anything else to do. So this is Reads and Weeds, everybody. This is where we smoke weed and read books. Yes. We have fantastic snacks. Right now, Paul, can you just describe I mean, the spread? Just I would love it. nothing more, Shelly. Candidly, uh, these dried mangoes for the dessert feature Holy shit. are so good and so chewy. Good. I should not be. Done, people who've done Reads and Weeds before, you know that I love having the spread, right? But now that I can only have like one person at a time, I still really overdo the spread. It's just there's more for me to eat, which is what I appreciate. Okay, carry on. Thank you for explaining dried that mango. while I chewed the rest of that dried yeah, mango, which was yeah. clearly so unprofessional yeah. to put in my mouth right now <laughs> yeah. while I'm trying to describe the spread. So good, though. We've got a, a mini taco dip, which uh-huh. is basically a, a seven-layer dip with some added fresh veggies so on top. So good. Almost vegetables. Almost vegetables is, in fact, what <laughs> we should call it from this point forward. Vegetables. So I'm going to have a chip with almost vegetables on it yeah. in a few minutes. Yummy. Uh, we've got uh, some house-made dates wrapped in bacon. Mm-hmm. Which with, I have honey, to... with honey goat cheese inside. Is that what's inside there? That's what's inside. So you just tricked me into eating goat cheese. Oh, I didn't know. You did so well. Oh, you well, did so well. Well, here's the thing. If you hide goat cheese on me, oh. like inside a jalapeno popper, sure, huh. or these fabulous dates with bacon wrapped around You just don't want it walking them, up straight goat cheese trying to get it Sticking its all <laughs> big fat smell in my nose and making me <laughs> averse to putting it in my mouth. That's what I don't want from goat but cheese. But the honey goat cheese is the shit. It's it's not bad. Whereas right. normally I would think goat cheese is actual shit. Oh no. This is it's good. the shit. It's good. It's good. 
So uh, there's that. There's also, uh, what am I missing? Oh, the... Um, uh, dark the, chocolate almonds. The dark chocolate almonds, which I thought were Kalamata olives when I put one in my mouth. And that then, must have been very confusing for you. Uh, a very pleasant, confusing surprise. Oh, neat. What if vegetables just started tasting like chocolate one day? Um, my kids would be very healthy. Mm-hmm. That, that's what would happen there. Yeah. For, all, for all, all children. We, why aren't we doing that? We would, or have we been dipping vegetables in chocolate or trying that? Can we turn some res- What do we got to do to turn some resources in that Ooh, direction? I feel like it's carob. If we go carob mm. and just say, hey, it's chocolate. Right. Sure. They're, they're getting the, the, the chocolate essence thing. Right, right, right. But the carob is healthy. Right. And then you wrap it around some vegetables. Hey, I if think you're listening work. to this. This is all out of love. We're not trying to manipulate your children into eating things. We care about the children, okay? We, do. we just both admitted that sometimes we have to be tricked into eating things that may be delightful. Absolutely. And uh, and then it's worth it. And then you've discovered something new, and it's really good. Trick your children well. <laughs> oh my! They may find health. <laughs> oh wow! When you trick them into eating vegetables. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> No, 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 don't. We'll get sued (laughs) if I do. Oh, that's right. (laughs) That didn't sound familiar. That didn't sound. Yeah, it didn't sound. It's parody. It's fine. So we're talking about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I read when I was um, probably in my twenties. So a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, three, (laughs) four. D. Um, So, and I remember just being like, ah, this is. It just seems so silly. It was. I was at a point in my life where. I probably took myself too seriously. I was probably reading a lot of books about how to be a better salesperson, reach the stars. And then this book, I was kind of like, oh, this seems a little frivolous. It's just like whatever. And I am now realizing, however many years later, that it's so what's so great about it is uh, if you've never read it, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy came from Douglas Adams doing a radio show Correct. in the UK. Mm-hmm. And um, his jumping off point was kind of like, the world is destroyed because a guy, well, a guy is trying to save his house uh, from getting demolished destroyed. for a bypass uh, on Earth. Like a highway bypass, yeah. yes. But then right when that's about to happen, the whole Earth gets destroyed because of like a for interstellar a, bypass. For a hyperspace bypass. For, for another so you bypass. Can, you can go through nice and clean at hyperspace yeah. without hitting a planet. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so all of a sudden you just leap right into, you just have to accept the whole ridiculous world that he's creating of like the guy in charge of the universe is is dumb and doesn't really know why he's doing what he's doing but that also seems totally plausible right that um, checks out if you check Earth's history real it close checks out checks out on the it's all it's two on the nose they throw yeah. you out of the writer's room yes yes they're like who's gonna believe that they're like everybody it's almost everybody. too easy yeah. let's cut it <laughs> but um exactly. but because of the way he created all the characters and how they respond to their surroundings it's just it's hysterical so i think it's very very funny all the way through but i also also think the humor is much more high-minded than i used to understand oh, for sure the jokes every joke the jokes to me it's like i i'm a huge fan of the sklar brothers uh, okay. the comedians the twins uh they a lot Friends of their yours. jokes are like 
seemingly obvious, right? Right. But you still have to think of it. You yeah. still have to have the timing to put it in in the right place. Sure, sure. And I think one of the beautiful things that Adams does uh, right at the beginning of the book is just blow the earth to smithereens. Get over it. It's right. gone. There's no setting. The yeah. setting has to be somewhere else yeah. now. There's, there's, yeah. You can't, you're not at home. Right. And furthermore, there is no home for you anymore. Right, right. So you so, start with a completely improbable thing. Yes. And your friend from Guilford in England mm -hmm. turns out to be from a planet in the Beetlejuice system. Right. And has been calling himself the name of an automobile because they thought it was nicely innocuous. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> saves your life at the end because you saved him when he got here and thought cars were the dominant life forms and almost right. got run over. Right. So that comes full circle. And then Ford, the gentleman who's clearly named after yeah. the car, gives him an opportunity to come, to, to leave the earth right before it's destroyed in a hitchhiking moment. Yeah. They actually hitch a ride on the Destructor Fleet ships. Yes. And right at the same time that's happening, um, Zaphod Beeblebrox, the president or the president of the galaxy. That's correct. Is stealing a ship and sort of escaping, kind of ordering the world to be blown up. If I may, Shelley. Please correct me. Please pay the, set. The the scene. Okay, so we're talking about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, and we already just got like real deep, real fast. Super deep, real fast. Because um, it's a fun, really fun. Like once I let go of my own, like oh, this is silly, and I started going like, oh, I really need this right now. The reason why this book is so attractive, I think, is because right now, especially, I mean, I'm sure there's so many eras of time where you can go, oh, right now, especially since. Fill in the fucking blanks. Since <laughs> Hurricane right. Katrina, since that serial killer blew through, since the war ended, you know. But right now, it actually does feel like, oh, we're in a pandemic, and um, like then there's well, there's a world-endy vibe to the world right now. World, so yeah, <laughs> so, so I feel very tuned into this. And sometimes you're like, this is fucked up. Like it almost feels like just some weird, non-caring creatures in charge of the world. And it's funny to think that like. Oh, that's just exactly what he did. He was like, let's just take every improbable reason for things happening and yeah. just throw them out there. Exactly. Just let my imagination run wild with like why things are a certain way. Well, that's the thing. The whole premise of the book is basically uh, whatever you think is improbable is about to happen to you. Yes. Uh, the, you have no control. Uh, and in fact, one of the, my, the favorite nuances about this particular portion of the book is that uh, Zaphod Beeblebrox, president of the galaxy, mm -hmm. does not just steal the ship known as the Heart of Gold, he, right. uh, which is powered by, and this is going to get a little deep, and uh, so uh, hang with me, but uh, the, the, ship, the ship is powered with a thing called the improbability drive. Some Oh my god. Some I am also powered by an improbability <laughs> drive. It seems that I may be too. Yeah. Right. So the, What's the least likely thing that would happen? I will choose that, please. It's not just the fastest ship ever created uh when this improbability drive is kicked into play. 
you literally pass through every point in the universe simultaneously and then poof out of that into your destination yeah. from wherever you are you're instantly wherever the next place right. is. So that's just a risk you got to take. <laughs> but what happens when you get there's a little up in the air until sure. quote unquote normality is restored. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and who knows what that is. Uh, right. But the point of the improbability drive is the whole point of the book to me at some level. If you are going to try to figure things out and control all the things in your life, yes, yes, you are more often than not going to be smacked straight in your junk with improbability. Right. Hashtag junk smack. <laughs> Apparently, that's that's a thing now. Yes. Please hashtag everything that you post junk, junk smack. smack. Hashtag junk smack. Everybody, that's J-U-N-K-S-M-A-C-K. And for okay. the first time ever in the history of America, that it, none, neither of those things references heroin. <laughs> wow. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's totally different. Yep. It's about the universe hitting you square in the balls. Yes. And you going... Oh, I'm going to imagine what's going to happen next. And, and the un- yeah, and the universe, the, yeah. The comedic genius of this is that uh, the premise is that some scientist, as it always happens, like with Viagra and a million other things that are were not designed for what they end up doing, a scientist sort of by accident creates the improbability drive at an improbability level of 47,370,000, like, to 1 against. Yeah. What's, and then what's, they're able to harness it and use it as travel. As, yeah. as a mode of travel. What's delightful about this book, from what I've read about Douglas Adams, you know, and pictures I've seen of him, he just seems like he's sort of having a ball. Mm. And um, I could be wrong. <laughs> but to write a book like this, you have to be so highly intelligent, but also just super high-level playful. Just yes. like, and then what happened? And then what happened? Like a little kid telling a story. Right. And then everything turned to stars, and then we turned into dogs, but then we turned back into stars, and then we went and got a cheeseburger, you know? Right. And it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds kind of like this book. That's why it's so, like, delightful. But one of the things that Douglas is known for, I guess I should say Adam's, the author. I'll. You know what? I'm going to use all Adams. three. I'm going to use all use three. All. That's what I'm going to do. He he's um, known for writing in a comical way about um, the just the banality of bureaucracy, and yes. he plays it out in so many ways. In all the time, I'm just going to check. Can you check? Um. He plays it out, and starting from the very beginning, we have to build a bypass. Why? Bypasses have to be built. Bypasses know? have to be built. Well, you, I, I, there was a chance to stop it. Well, how so? Well, he had to go into the building, then down to the... You know, he's like, it was clearly posted, but uh, it was yes. in the basement of a building behind a thing, and no mm-hmm. one was there, and it was dark, there was clearly no light. Clearly posted, right. Yes, and yes. Literally, uh, in, the, in the book... the. It's clearly posted, but it's in a place that it was in a basement behind two different locked doors in a cabinet. Yeah. Clearly displayed inside the cabinet. And also, there are no stairs. Right. To go down to get to them. So when uh, 
Arthur's house is ultimately demolished. Arthur yes. Dent, the main character, uh, right bef- as the Vogons arrive, who are the ones who are the most bureaucratic race in the universe. Right. Uh, they wouldn't save their own mother without a form filled out in triplicate, buried in peat moss for six months, pulled up, recycled as fire lighters. <laughs> Are you making this part No, up? no, this is from the book. Like, oh, is it really? They wouldn't say they from the bug letter Beast of Troll. Oh, if, right. If they didn't have all of the, like, the little boxes checked in. Like, and I feel like this... You have the, the right forms at the oh, right yes. time. And and let me tell you what, I, like, I get it. I'm like, oh my God, if I have to make up a password or give my social security card to... And this is the thing, is when was this, when did he start this? 78? When was 78, it? 79, right in there. The book came out in yes. the late, uh, 81 officially. Right. And so a lot of the things that he talks about, though, also feel very forward-thinking. Like... My goodness, yes. Like, really accurate sci-fi. Spot Super accurate so sci-fi. Cases, yeah. And I think I didn't appreciate that at the first time I read it. How could you? It hadn't happened that, yet. That's true. And then there's a lot of that time travel shit in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all of that. So. Well, the thing that. Uh, so I have to say, oh. we, we watched. So Paul and I watched the movie the other day. Mm-hmm. And. Me for like the eighth time. Loved it. Me for the first time. And so I also listened to the audiobook after I read it. And um, Arthur Dent is the main character. He is the earthling whose house is torn down. He gets like swept up in this um, intergalactic adventure to find the meaning of the ultimate question. And he's the only human left, he thinks. And then he meets somebody he knows who's the only other human. And uh, and it's a fantastic ride. Um the oh the thing okay. the thing that we're missing for folks who listen to the podcast but don't oh, read yes. the books oh okay <laughs> right yeah uh, the thing that we're, we we touched on it briefly but uh, as Arthur and Ford are picked up they get the hitchhike they hitchhike on the Vogon ship right right Vogons find out they're there yes Vogons don't like hitchhikers they throw them into space and at an insane level of improbability the heart of gold shows up. Right. Within the 30-second parameters that a human lung will withstand the vastness and emptiness of an oxygenless sure, space. Sure, To pull them out of the air and to bring them aboard the Heart of Gold ship where Zaphod and Ford are reunited. They're long-lost cousins. They share That's three different right. mothers. That's right. And uh, Arthur and uh, a woman who at a fancy dress party or a costume party, as we would say here in America. Right. Uh, got together and then completely, as Adams puts it in the book, failed to get off at all because Zaphod had shown up and was like, hey, right. this guy boring you. <laughs> right, Let's right, go and talk right. to me. Yes. I'm from a different planet. Oh, this is what you I was going to say. You want to see my spaceship? Right, but this is, this is what I was going to say. Did they all end up on the, the same movie, ship together? We watched the movie and I had a certain picture of what the character's going to look like, but in the movie, so... Who plays Arthur Dent? What's his name? Martin Freeman. That's Martin Freeman. So Martin Freeman, amazing actor. Who Terrific. I think was in, um, he's been in a lot of stuff. He was in he was Sherlock, in, the new one with uh, the, oh, the most in, recent update with He was Benedict. in Doctor Who, too. Yeah, he was. He was he's, he's, he's gotten around. He's. I love his voice. His voice is very distinctive. Mm-hmm. And it, so the audiobook is really good. But also he's in the movie. 
and Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell is Sam Rockwell plays Zayfod, and he does it in kind of like a like a rock and roll George Bush kind yeah. of. If George like W. Bush, Matthew not H. McConaughey, w. just kind of yes. like, whoa, I'm rolling with this. I'm from another planet. I'm president of the universe. Like, yeah, right. and it's so fucking great. And then most deaf is um, Yasin Bay now. Prefect. Yasin Bay. Yasin uh, Bay. Most deaf okay. at the time. Ford yes. Prefect, which yes. is for those who don't know the name that was given to the Ford Escort automobile in Britain at the time. And Ford showed up on Earth and chose the name because he thought it would be nicely innocuous. Yes, yes. So yes. little nuances like that throughout. So in, in the movie, this is a really funny thing. Like, I love how many tiny funny things there are. Like, it starts with the dolphin song, and it's really like the dolphins are, they understand that the world is about to end, but no one can understand them. Right. Uh, the song "So Long and Thanks for All so the Fish." So long and thanks for all the but fish. But we're out. Bye. Yeah, we gotta go. Yeah, world's ending. Dolphins just bolt. Yeah, and so there's a headline that says "Dolphins Vanish." Yes. <laughs> it's so On the great. newspaper, Douglas Adams is reading at a little cafe yes, while yes. the Vogons are about to destroy the earth, and he vanish. is unfazed. He's yes, just reading he's just the, reading paper. the paper. It's perfect. It's so perfect. So the I, having just finished the book and just watched the movie, sometimes one affects the other negatively, but I think these make each other better. You know, like when now that I've. I pictured the book one way, but now that I have the movie in my mind, I'm not mad about it. You uh, know? Yes, like sometimes right. you're like, ah, oh, I didn't really want to think of that detective looking like that, you know. So well, uh, what's funny about sure, that yeah. is the heart of gold, the ship, yeah. which is one of the most prominent features, right, looks nothing like the description in the book. Oh, However, is that the one which what does it look like? Is that that big face? It's the eye. It's basically an eyeball with a couple of uh, oh yeah, yeah, the big white. Sure, uh, that's sure. the heart of gold. It's described uh, in the book as sleek, like a like a running like a running shoe, like a cool pair of Nikes, which were new at the time, right? right so right. he described it kind of like that, right? Uh, but that didn't really translate, and the, obviously the the director had a different vision, and, uh, and but I am super stoked with the the round, weird looking eyeball. That is the heart of gold in the movie. As yeah. a diehard fan, like yeah, uh, so there you, you you nailed it right there. It's nice when they do it differently, they but it differently. you also are like really cool. With yeah, it. Zayfod, <laughs> yeah, Zayfod. Because when I was trying to picture Zayfod, is so the president of the galaxy is like a swaggering, sort of dim witted, but sort but of. but happy and but also con- cunning, confident. Yes. Yeah. But just kind of rolling through, partying, not really worried about anything. Yep, worried about nothing. Uh, but also has two heads knocking into each other all the time. And you find out that um, s- through a series of events, he finds out that he himself divided the two heads so that he wouldn't know. There's a quote that's like, well, you know, if you're going to be the president... You have to cut part of your brain out. Everybody knows that. Right. <laughs> it's just like, because who could be the president using let's their whole brain? It. Yeah. Let's face it, for certain parts of my personality, weren't exactly presidential, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. So, okay, how the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy gets introduced is they they get taken up by a ship, and Ford Prefect works, Prefect works 
as a, I guess, a writer for He's the writer guide. For the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Hitchhiker's Galaxy. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which says what on the front cover? Don't panic. Don't panic. It's a wholly remarkable book. Yes, yes. Uh, in that it, it will give you the answers to any question you might have about whatever region of the universe that you're in. And it has, it's basically uh, like an iPad, yes. essentially. <laughs> And what does it tell you um, that you need if you're going to travel? What's a very important item that you should have? Oh, you've always got to know where your towel where is. Where is your towel? Got to know where your <laughs> where towel is. Your is. Towel? <laughs> so you are you are not hoopy fruit. Ford, Ford Prefect is really adamant about you got to have your towel, and Arthur Dent's like, "What? Why?" But Ford uses his towel the whole time. Just constantly throughout the whole thing. And there's like it's it's, it's a about shield. a page and a half, I think, right, in yeah. the book of, that describes the reasons you're yeah. going to need a towel mm-hmm. if you're going to be a galactic hitchhiker. Not the least of which is after years and years of carrying it around, it will have acquired uh, uh, crucial uh, bacteria and nutrients that if you're in a real pinch, you can suck right yeah. out of that towel and keep so yourself gross. alive. So gross. But plausible. <laughs> but- but plausible. So right. there was, remember how I sent you that um, episode of the Tim Ferriss show? Yes. <clears throat> it was about this guy who writes books on survivalism, and he talked about all the things he usually has on him. Right. You know, to and purify water. And I went and listened water. to the astronaut episode instead, immediately, and still haven't listened to that oh, one. Oh, yes, yes. I'm not, no spoilers, no spoilers. No, go but ahead. it's like the towel made me think of that because. Uh, yes. You would think of all the things you think you're going to need, and some guy who's a survivalist says, no, let me tell you, you need uh, this much twine. You know, they give you like yeah. the actual, this is right. how to stay alive. You need 17.6 <laughs> meters of twine. <laughs> yeah. With that face. Um, okay. So let's talk about, um, okay, so the they, they describe the Hitchhiker's Guide that's that was you know, published and it's always getting changed because it's wholly reliable but not exactly true and sometimes the dates get changed. And yeah, you know, there might be a little gonzo journalism in the Hitchhiker's sure. Guide as well. Uh, and there may be nothing about some of your more remote planets, say in the western spiral end of the plural ZZ Alpha region of the galaxy, uh, which... <laughs> that's the, the best part about this that that's where Earth is in the book. Yeah, that was for the geeks. But uh, like the best part about it is Arthur, or, or, excuse me, Ford is sent there because they got nothing on Earth. They have nothing on this little planet that hardly anybody knows about because we're so far away from where all the action in the galaxy is happening. Sure, sure. Uh, and so few people actually, or a few, so few different races throughout the galaxy need to come by through here anytime on their travels. Right. Which is why. Do you guys want to pop by Earth? It's pretty close. It's like, nah, mm, nah. Nah, listen. You know I heard they're going to blow it up for a bypass, which is going to be sweet because hyperspace through here would be dope. I'm trying to get to Alpha Centauri. Yeah, does anybody even live there? <laughs> right. They're so boring. Yes. So, um, tell me. When the um, Vogons are uh, wanting to torture their new prisoners, what is the torture method? Well, here's the thing about Vogons. You should never, under any circumstances, ever let them read poetry to you. Yeah. 
They're widely known to be the third worst poetry in the entire universe. <laughs> oh, no. The worst of which was, according to Douglas Adams, <laughs> brought to you by Paula Millstone Jennings of and Sussex, you England. And you think that's a real person? No, she's a, she's oh, a you real poet. This is super shade. Douglas Adams, in the that middle of the funny. book that he's writing, decides to throw super shade at maybe his friend. Who even yeah, knows? Yeah, maybe he's messing I don't know with her. The, all the details. Yeah, maybe he's messing with her. Although, all I know is I think it's Paula Millstone Craft Jennings. Um, you know what? I'm curious because, sorry, I didn't do any research about this particular part. Research? Audience. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, I would like to know that now. I'll look it up and see if I can put it in the show notes. There you go. I'll see if I can put it in we the show notes. We should absolutely credit... Miss Jennings. Sure. Let's put one of her poems up. If her poems yeah. are, in fact, the worst in the galaxy, I feel like yeah. people should know that. And of yeah. course, they're not. Poetry oh, is this subjective, is funny. right? So I want to quote, I want to talk about a quote. They're always talking about improbability. The first time they go through and like dissolve before things normalize again, mm-hmm. there's a quote from the movie. I don't know if it's from the book, but I think I'm a sofa. I know how you feel. <laughs> Because they're both little animated sofas with faces and talking out of the cushions. Right. Uh, So what happens uh, when the improbability drive is engaged, Uh uh, it's it's no longer normality. Mm -hmm. And you really don't know where you're going to end up or why or what you are going to be when you get there. There's another great uh, depiction, and I think the movie really nails this one. Uh, where they hit the improbability drive uh, in a in a static position. They're not trying to go anywhere. They just want they just want shit to change because they're about to get blown to smithereens by atomic sure, weapons. Sure. And then when normality before normality is restored, there's a moment where they're all these characters made of yarn. Oh my god, they're so cute. And it's adorable. It's adorable. And uh, they're and, and uh, oh Arthur gets sick and like throws up this technicolor yarn yes, out of yes. his mouth into a bucket and it's They're just uh, temporarily tiny cloth. Temporarily people. yarn <laughs> dolls. Yes. In perfect character representation. Sure. It's brilliant. And it's brilliant it's in both brilliant. the film and the book, I can yes, assure you. It's, it's one of the adorable. things where they really nailed it. Okay, let's talk about Marvin. Marvin the Paranoid Android yes. is one of the most endearingly depressed characters. He's, I'm <laughs> going to say yes. the most endearingly depressing character since Eeyore. Sure. And maybe of all time, if right. he were more widely known as Eeyore is. Yes, yes. I mean, we all love us some Eeyore. <laughs> yes. How you doing, Eeyore? Oh, whoa, whoa. well, my tail came off. <laughs> yes. I can't put it back on. So we all love us oh, some Eeyore, and, and, and Marvin is very much the same way in that uh, it played by played perfectly by uh, Alan Rickman. Oh my God! It's the beautiful. late great Alan Rickman in yeah. this film, Marvin so the Paranoid Android, is blessed, quote unquote. By his creators at the Sirius Cybernetics Corporation. Yeah. Uh, with a GPP, which is a genuine people personality. But he is, as he puts it, I'm a prototype. You can tell, can't you? <laughs> and, uh, and he's, so he's just, 
He's like their robot he's, person for for the next million years ahead and back, right? And he yeah. does he's just doing his job. Brain he's the size just, of a planet and here I am sent to the bridge oh, to get you two and take you and back so, to the the one, one really funny thing about, I mean, there's so many funny things, but like the way, um, and it's funny because when sometimes I think we get so overly excited about technology, like this technology is going to change the world. Yeah, yeah. And um, still, sure like, whatever technology they're inter- interacting with is kind of fucked up, right? Yeah. So, like, um, the tea making like I just want this computer to make me a cup of tea yes and it just sucks it's all about marketing oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a terrible product so and it just keeps trying exactly and these are I all brought ahead. to you throughout the whole ahead. book and yes. out throughout the whole series of books by the Sirius Cybernetic Corporation. Yes. Which, oh my you know, God. are just they're god awful but they're huge and they make all the money so there's nothing you can do about it uh, yeah and what you're referencing with the make me a cup of tea thing is uh, on the heart of gold there is you just put your head in this little box <laughs> it scans your brain and your taste buds at the same time and just makes you out of thin air exactly what you're craving and the the joke one of the jokes throughout the book is that Arthur who is an Englishman and loves his tea time yeah is just craving a good cup of English tea and the the way it's phrased is, is kind of brilliant to me about how the machine doesn't quite get it right. Mm-hmm. Is that it makes a frothy hot beverage almost, but not entirely, unlike tea. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. And that's part of the brilliance of Adams is the phraseology mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that he uses to explain even the most banal things is so clever. I think even. Even uh, uh, people who are uh, not fans of Adams have to give it up to the cleverness sure. of the thinking. Well, I think it's because it's not trying to be too. It's not trying to be pretentious in any way. It's one hundred percent playful. It's, yes. it is really smart, but it's be, he's not trying to be smart. He's not trying he's, to outsmart you no. with how smart the book is because he's the not. book is incredibly smart. There are yeah. some things that are yeah. nuanced. You might have to look up a thing yeah. here yeah. and there if you really want to get it. But it's, at the same time, as you say, very down-to-earth that doesn't exist anymore. So let's talk about... <laughs> let's talk about... The, okay, so we talked about Marvin the Robot. Um, uh, the, yes, Marvin the, the Paranoid So the different um, relationships with machines and computers and that, and that kind of thing. So... Wait... You love the bit about the doors. Yes. See, so, that, so talk it, about the doors and then talk about Eddie. Yes. Okay, yes. so yes. as Marvin, Marvin is sent down to where uh, they've become sofas while they're waiting for normality to be restored. And in the book, that's they go through a series of like five different incarnations of things. Like where they're sitting on a beach where... Uh, the clouds wash away, but the water stays still. Yeah. Stuff like that. Uh, so after the sofa goes away, Marvin finally finds them after being sent from the bridge to go retrieve the hitch- hitchhikers and find out what's going on. Uh, he's He runs into Ford and Arthur and explains to them that he is a paranoid android and a prototype and all of the computers 
and robotics on the ship have genuine people personalities and they're designed to be very satisfied by serving you in whatever way they serve you. So uh, as you walk towards a door, the door lets out a, a very contented sigh to let you know it's enjoying the work that it's doing as you walk through it. So you would approach a door and it would go, ah. <laughs> and as you would go through the other side of the door, it would be like, ah. I like know. a very satisfied. Oh my God, I love the way they did that in the movie. <laughs> it's really well done. And then the, the ship is run, essentially, by a shipboard computer named Eddie. Yeah. Which is, to me, just the best name for... Like, you're, it's in charge of everything. Yeah. And Eddie's personality is super buoyant. Yeah. He's real pleased as... <laughs> oh, I'm just as pleased as punch to be serving you folks today. Yeah. Let me know how I can calculate whatever I need to calculate for you. Yeah, yeah. Played perfectly by Thomas Lennon. He's voiced, fantastic. Voiced uh, brilliantly by Thomas Lennon, who is... Uh, was the guy in the short shorts on Reno 911, if that oh, helps I thought folks. that was Bill Bailey. Is that not Bill Bailey? No, that's not Bill Bailey. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Nope. Uh, Bill, but I just found <laughs> out Bill Bailey's in there, too, somewhere. I don't know, but he's... Okay. I don't know. So, Trillian is the woman that sort of got picked up by Zephob Beeblebrox, and she is... Yeah, for, stole straight from Arthur yes, at a fancy dress at party. At a fancy dress party, and they all ended up on the spaceship together, so they get to bump into each other, just like they're in a bar or something, be like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you? But they're hurling through space, and their planet's been destroyed. So there is a connection there, because yes. they're the last two humans. So that little thing is going on very sweetly in the background. Right. But it's there. And um, and she begins she, to figure out that Zaphod's kind of an empty vessel, and but well, she's in a, space. He's and a like, douche. You know, he's a lovable douchebag. Lovable douchebag. You know, he's exactly a right. lovable douchebag. Yeah, yeah. We, we all know and, the lovable <clears throat> asshole. In right, our group, right. right? And he, but he's completely honest, though. He's not. Yeah. He's like, there's not really malice. No, there's he's no pretense. More just it's like, like, I'm hungry. I don't know why I did that. Did that hurt somebody? Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Right. Like, he does, he does not, it's not malice, you know? It's not vengeance. He's just kind of like, doesn't, isn't thinking about shit, you Perfect know? Perfect example is uh, when uh, Arthur's on the ship and the, he finds Trillian, or Trisha McMillan, who he knew at the party, has become Trillian. Oh, right. And uh, before Arthur can let her know what's happened to Earth, he snags her, uh, Zaphod snags Arthur away and very plainly says, hey, uh, listen, how about we don't say anything about the earth getting blown up? Otherwise, I'll rip your heart right out of your chest. You know, right, like right, right. straight up. Like, he doesn't want her to feel hurt, but he's also like really willing to hurt Arthur. Yeah. If So he's this walking dichotomy oh, all yeah. the time. He's, he's, uh, oh yeah, and so the way it's done in the movie, he doesn't have two heads knocking up against each other. He has like a head, and then his head flips back like a head Pez dispenser, and there's another mouth. It's right, like a where crazy, his neck would be is a tinier be, head. Is a tinier, crazy, pissed off redneck head. That says all the um, truths, yeah. So there's a, um, they, they will quickly. In the middle of a scene, Adams will say, here's what the guide says about this. Yes. And one of the things that he talks about is everybody knows that the best drink in the universe is the pan-galactic gargle blaster. And so um, they're having a pan-galactic gargle blaster, first of all, and somebody says, I liked Earth. 
I got those boots there. <laughs> that was probably Zaphod. That was Zaphod, yeah. So I made, in our little pile of treats over here, I made a pan galactic gargle blaster, but really it's Pim's. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's a Pim's, Pim's galactic it's gargle a blaster. Pim's galactic, <laughs> it's a Pim's galactic gargle blaster, and it's a Pim's cup with like, so basically you get Pim's and you. Oh, I was so random with my measurements. But Pim's tonic or Sprite, something like that, either Sprite, ginger ale, or tonic. Then you put maybe a little bit of lemonade and some cucumbers in there. Mix it all up. And what would you, how would you describe it? I would describe it as delightful. Delightful and refreshing, right? Just mm. refreshing. Goodness Indeed. gracious, it's refreshing. It was it's it's as if somebody took a pan galactic gargle blaster and ran it through the deep south real quick for some oh, hospitality. Yeah. Heavens. It's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Okay, so there's this really cute thing that happens that at the party on Earth where Arthur Dent met Trisha McMillan, now Trillian. She suddenly says, let's go somewhere. And he goes, okay. And they just met. And she goes, how about Madagascar? And suddenly he realizes, oh, she's really serious. She wants me to go to Madagascar with her. And I can't do it. I can't do it right yeah. now. He, he's and not that guy. He's not that guy. He and wants so to be he wants desperately, to be that but, guy, he's but he's not that guy. Not. And she's like, yeah, like, why wouldn't we? Let's go to Madagascar. And he, it, it sort of breaks his heart. That he didn't go, and it sort of breaks her heart that he didn't go. But then they meet each other again, In hurling space. through the universe. Yeah. So their comfort zones have shifted significantly, a, a bit. Yeah. and um, it's really cute. They weave this through. He weaves this through. This is really funny. Um, there's right after they become little cloth creatures, they end up at a church type place with the robes ah yes and there's the great oh he's describing like everybody has these different uh theories about the beginning of the universe but this he, his name is what Hamakavula Hamakavula yeah, is the leader, the leader of, of the of the church and they're 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 waiting for the time of the great green arkle seizure which is basically the second coming of their messiah but isn't it sneezing? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, they believe that uh, the great green arco seizure will happen and the Messiah will wipe the sins of the world away with the great handkerchief. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And uh, so there's all sorts of like analogies and, and wordplay with... Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, the sneezing worked into the prayers like a Catholic... Oh yes, kind of thing. Oh, yes. And of course, brilliantly at the end of it all, oh, my says, says to the congregation, "Bless you." Yeah. After a giant communal yes. sneeze. Yes. <laughs> so it certainly makes so much sense. He so. pokes such brilliant fun at just the overall. I believe what he thought was the overall ridiculousness of religion in general, uh, without calling Christians or Muslims or anybody on earth into question. Right. But he has no problem pointing out how silly it is for whoever on whatever planet to believe what they're believing, or at least describe it in a way that makes it seem like a ridiculous thing to believe. Yeah. And thereby kind of tossing 
what he thinks about religion into the great stew of this book without you being able to be all butthurt about it. Right. But if it makes you think, and then conversely think about your own stuff with regard to the way you worship or have faith, to me that's just, that's perfect. Great. Even if you don't change those beliefs, even if you still want to believe in what I consider to be magic man in the sky kind of a thing, you've at least had a different perspective that you didn't get clouded because you're upset because it's talking about your religion. Mm-hmm. He was just so brilliant in so mm-hmm. many ways about discussing so many different, very controversial topics. Right, right. Have we talked about the bacon wrap dates yet? We did mention bacon okay. wrap dates, I'm okay. pretty sure, but they are uh, worth mentioning again. And there is one left. Woo! And guess where that's going? Damn. My belly. Oh, good. Okay, so this is really funny. Um, two really funny things in a row. One is um, when they talk about, you know, dolphins vanish. And then we were, I was laughing about what if we're wrong as humans? <clears throat> what if we're wrong as humans about which animals are, quote, smart? I was like, <laughs> oh, dolphins are really smart. Oh, mm-hmm. pigs, you know, pigs are really smart. It's like, we don't know what the fuck we're talking about, you know? Well, so, you know what a pig is thinking. We don't know what the fuck we're talking about. So right. it's funny because I did the Bufo toad ceremony. And mm-hmm. I told you the monkey story, right? The mm-hmm. guy, he went to the woods and he was thinking about, like, how do I know God? And maybe that's these trees are God. Maybe monkeys are God or whatever. <laughs> and he couldn't sleep in the middle of the night. And a whole bunch of howler monkeys landed on his little hut and started screaming. So we're in this group and we're talking about how humans a lot of times are going, oh, what if dogs could talk or what if these could talk? And we were talking about how dogs are probably going like, I wonder why they're still communicating through talking. <laughs> yeah. They, they can't even hear earthquakes coming. I like mean, they're, they're so limited. Can you like believe they these don't... fucking bipeds can't even <laughs> smell cancer yet? <laughs> fucking smell. morons. Fucking yeah. dummies. Can't y'all smell that? <laughs> I got sick. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's uh, it's fascinating to think. So, okay. So this is what's about to happen is uh, where do they encounter the mice for the first time? Oh, they've they've kind of been there the whole time. The mice were trillions. They were her pets. Oh, shit. And they were in her backpack. That's and right. The whole, they jump out in the ship and they take over the heart of gold, essentially. They sabotage the ship. They were her pets. There's so much in this book. I've oh, read it so shit. many times. I still catch a new nuance. I know okay. that's cliche. So here's what they here's what happens with the with the mice. Yeah. Here's what happens with the mice is um you come to realize that they are sort of the rulers of the universe, not the humans. And uh, or at least of the earth. Um the people who are there, I think his name is Slarty Bartfast, Slarty Bartfast, maybe. Um, he is, what do you call it, subjugating himself, subjective? I don't know. He's a subject of the mice, and the mice are moving around in these little glass containers and saying um, that they built, they, they were trying to get the ultimate question answered, and their project Correct. was to... 
So they're searching for like, what is the meaning? What's the answer to the ultimate question? Right. They want the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and, and everything. Yeah. So these mice. So these, they build a computer. They build a computer which called was Deep Earth. Thought. That called called Deep Thought. The first computer is called Deep Thought. Yeah. Uh, and it runs a seven and a half million year program because these are hyper dimensional pan hyper intelligent pan dimensional beings. Time yes, means nothing yes, to them. Yes. So it runs a seven and a half million year program to come up with the answer forty two. Yes. And everybody's like forty two. What the fuck, man? We just we need. How's that the answer to... It's so funny. And the Deep Thoughts, the answer to them is, well, it would help to know what the question was. Oh, my God. They didn't think about it. <laughs> they just want the answer. They didn't bother to determine the question you have to ask to get the answer. So the Earth is built as, a, as an organic computer of which its inhabitants are part of the programming. Yes. And it's going to run See, a 10 like million year cycle program. Yeah, but I feel like to that. To determine the question. That in and of itself is way ahead of its time. It's to me the more it's likely a of a God scenario. Oh, it's For me, amazing. it's way more likely than a single guy who just is like, do stuff my way or you go to hell. You know, it's like that makes so much more sense to me on so many levels. Like, uh, the. I would think like a sixth grader science experiment makes more sense. Like in some crazy advanced civilization somewhere, we could be in a sure. bubble. We're a snow globe. Yeah. You know also, what I mean? Like I think he, that makes more sense from a God scenario. Yeah. So, you know, in the last few days, I've been watching some Star Trek Next Generation. You have indeed, yes. And was thinking about how interesting it is, like, in both things, they're bopping around the solar systems, you yeah. know, like encountering other cultures and just going like, oh, the way they describe them on Star Trek Next Generation is, you know, their culture is very humble and it would not be, you, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. Picard always knows like something specific. It, you, they, they all understand how they're different from this culture. Yes. You know? They take the time to even, to note it, make right, sure right. and log it, star and in, date it. And in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, they're just like, whoa, what the hell, man? <laughs> you know, and it's just like, they just immediately yeah. accept that this is like this. You know what I mean? These yes. people, um, like the robot is just is just like this. So another really funny thing happens right here where Trillian, Trisha McMillan, is trying to get into she's giving her info to someone to get into a building and you know, they're asking her where she's from and this is a big weird creature, a Vogon creature, I think, and she's saying I was from Earth and they're just like Oh, we don't have a record of an Earth, you know. Like, yeah, it was destroyed, and just her sitting there, and everybody knows that she feeling. doesn't know the Earth's been blown up yet. Well, and well, yes, and and also, also, everybody knows when you've had just like a day, and you find yourself at the DMV, and you're like, yeah. "Fuck everybody in this place." Yeah, you know, you're just like, "What? Are you kidding me?" Every year when I have to renew my parking pass, 
I take everything I can imagine. I take cash, credit cards, my ID, a proof of residence. Yeah. Like, I go on the day that they say to go. Like I do, I'm like every year. I'm like I'm gonna do it in one try this year. Yep, this is it. I'm gonna do this it. This is the year. And that's the year where they go. Oh yeah, we only take Discover card now. Yeah. Or like right. we only do that on Thursdays yeah. now. You know, and I'm just like, oh my god, what? It was clearly posted on our <laughs> website. I'm like, oh, I think so because I really checked 17 this time. Firewalls I checked and... this time for sure. Yeah. So she she uh, is you know they can't find Earth in their files. They just can't find it. And then Zayfide uses his fame to cut the line, but they need a presidential release of prisoner form. Yes, and he's the president. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they they brought uh, a release form, but the president now has is turns out is going to pardon them. Right, a pardon trillion. Who's been by the way kidnapped by the Vogons is about to be put to death. Um, After her whole episode with uh, uh, the DMV, she's taken and about to be fed to the ravenous bug bladder beast of Troll. Oh, that's right. While Arthur, Ford, and Zaphod are queuing up in the line of the DMV. And that's when Zaphod's like, hey, man, watch this. I'm the president. Right, right, right. And just starts glad-handing. He's hey, president of the galaxy here. How you doing? We're just headed up front. Hi there. How you doing? Shaking hands and ki- literally kissing little alien babies yeah. on the way, and uh, so the, he sends up bureaucracy from the opening sequences right until yeah. the very end, and he's never wrong about it. And he puts it in these um, he, like he takes these mundane earthly experiences and gives them galactic equivalents. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In a much more advanced societal setting oh, yeah. than ours. Like, millions of times more advanced than ours. Right. And they are still yeah. up to their fucking dicks in bureaucracy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you'll it's just never you know, get rid of it. You'll never outgrow it. Never. Like, yeah. There's, like, forms to probably get into heaven. You know, it's like, right, exactly. Wait, your last address before you got to heaven was it says here it was in Clearwater, but we you died in Jacksonville, so we're yeah. gonna need some more documentation. I mean, we're super excited to have you. Also, Jesus was just talking about does you. Does that say Unitarian? Cause oh, ooh, oh. Ah. So okay, so they're on a ship, they're trying to find I think it's Maragathia. Which oh, Magrathia. Magrathia is supposed to be this, as long as we're just flying around everywhere, let's yep. try to find this place that's supposed to be like... Um, well, their mission to Magrathia is twofold. Okay, yeah, tell me. Magrathia is, uh, is, a, is a corporate planet that uh, utilizes uh, dimensional tricks to trick time and space into believing it's big enough for them to have a planet-building factory yeah. in the center of the planet, essentially. Uh, so the Earth was built there yeah, as a part of... to be the computer program. Uh-huh. And once it's blown up, our mice friends, who, of course, are, again, the smartest pl- uh, beings, little white mice uh, on Earth, as it turns out, uh, have uh, recommissioned because they were so close to running the program all the way through. Right, and then and then it got blown up. And it got blown up. So now they're pissed and they're, they go back to the manufacturer. <laughs> they get the Mark II made. 
or it's in the process of being built. Then they realize, why did we get here? Hang on. Uh, Your point was going into, because I got distracted by a point I wanted to make, and I want to make sure we cover yours first. Oh, um, my next note was... Oh, Magrathea being the place where they... Oh, Where they were going. It was my point all along. I'm sorry. Yes, yes, It's called Reeds and Weeds, folks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Can we just pause for a second here and say that... So I work at a little weed farm, and um, we just have, you know, harvested in October, and we, things have been curing, and as we trim things and put them away, we try them. And so today, Paul and I are smoking stage five clinger. Yes. Mixed with? No, straight up. Straight stage had, five clinger. just enough for a nice fatty. Yes, and I would say... It's so great. Real good. And it is clinging to it's us. Cre- it's creative. It's um, happy, relaxing. It's fun. Very fun. So stage five clinger, thumbs up. And which got me distracted for a minute from the point that their mission to Magrathea was twofold. Yes, uh, yes. First of all, just to find it, because it was this planet of lore. It had been closed, quote unquote, for uh, millennia, actually, because... Uh, as it turns out, the economy went south in the in the in the universe. Oh yeah! And not everyone could afford stylish designer planets right. anymore. It happened. It happened. You know? So they had to, you know, lay off the the, the workforce and shut the factory down for mm-hmm. a while. And, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> oh my god! Uh, so just finding Magrathia would make Zaphod famous beyond being president of the galaxy, which is right. temporary, right? And it turns out any idiot literally and he's can do the job. Blatantly, just like oh, he, I want to be rich and famous. Just fame is the most important thing to Zaphod Beeblebrox, yeah. Period. Yeah. Uh, or as he as he puts it in the in the early portion of the book, uh, if there's anything more important than my ego on this ship, I want it caught and shot immediately. Right, right. Like he's the ultimate narcissist. Yeah. And so they find Megrathea, they find his glory. Uh, but Hamakavula, the preacher in question, uh, uh, has the only coordinates to Magrathea left in the universe. So Zaphod trades his second brain, not the one down south, the one that he has next to his other head, Sure. Uh, I guess that one, the other one would be his third brain now, huh? In any event. Do they call it that? Or are you just riffing? The second brain? <laughs> the, oh, that's the second brain is, on, on the male species, yeah, the second brain is a common. No, but in the book. No, they don't call oh. it that. That's just me riffing. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. I didn't understand the question. Okay, so the point is, uh, uh, he holds Zaphod's crucial brain parts hostage until, and gives him the coordinates only on the condition that he'll bring back the point of view gun, which is also yes, which deep thought the computer is actually holding on to. Yes, uh, when they stop off on their way to get to Magrathia. Yes, that's and right. And the point of view gun is one of the greatest inventions of all time to me of any literary device. Uh, you, if you point it and shoot it at somebody, it immediately. If you're a woman, you shoot it at a man. And that man will finally understand your point of view. Right, right. It's the, uh, of course, devised by super pissed off Galactic Housewives. Sure. With engineering skills. Every time you go to Saturn with Zaphod, <laughs> right. you 
come back stanking. Stanking drunk and just stanking. Yeah, exactly Stankin'. right. Yeah, right. And the so point then of the view. men will be able to then empathize and hopefully correct said horrible behavior right. for their loved, beloved woman. Yes. Uh, so they go to go pick up the point of view gun, get to Magrathia, discover that they're building Earth Point 2.0. Yes, yes. To finish the program. Yes. And we meet a man whose name is not important, according to this man. Uh, because the man's name is Slarda Bartfast. Yes! Oh my god. Slarda Bartfast is one of the planet engineers, and he's, after uh, Ford, Trillion, and Zaphod find their way into the planet's core, uh, Arthur, typical in Arthur, in typical Arthur fashion, bungles it up and doesn't make the trip with them. And the little portal device gets shut down. So Slarda Bartfast comes to fetch him. And in one of the most clever turns of phrase I think I've ever heard, uh, says, you've got to come with me or you'll be late. And Arthur says, late for what? And Slarda Bartfast says, no. As in the late Arthur Dent. It's sort of a threat, you see. Right, right. <laughs> I've never been very good at them. Oh my god, it's so funny! You'll be late. So funny. He's like, and he's like, uh, you know, he's been waiting to try. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's been waiting to try. So, two things I want to talk about. One is, will you on deck talk about Babelfish, and then after Babelfish, talk about the whale? Awareness, like if you know where that whale awareness yeah. chapter is, so find see if you can find the whale. I don't awareness. off the top. Well, but... I'm going to talk about two cannabis things real quick. Okay. okay, so here's something kind of exciting: is the UN reclassified cannabis into the a UN? less the UN? Um, they re, they're rescheduling cannabis. Okay. Also, so let me just read just a tiny bit more about that. Um, the United Nations approves World Health Organization recommendation to reschedule cannabis in historic vote. So this is today. Um, the United Nations, yeah. So to remove cannabis and cannabis resin from Schedule 4 of the 1961 Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs. So... Yeah, it's huge. Of course, it's that's UN. That's not like each individual country or each individual state. But the thing that's going on in the United States right now is the House is getting ready to vote on the MORE Act, which was sponsored by, um, I think, Kamala Harris. And that would, um, the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act, the MORE Act, oh. introduced by Jerry Nadler, would eliminate conflict between state and federal law and allow states to set their own marijuana policies. It would federally, like, decriminalize, I think. Um, we just need to get rid of prohibition and then let the states do what the states are going to do. Da-da-da. Uh, Ah, yeah, so, it would so remove, that's happening. It would remove the federal yeah. criminality. Yeah, because right now... states can just do whatever they want. Right, right, right. That's what I heard so, you just say, which I think is dope. Oh, it's the, it's the best. It's the best. Like, the, 
the crazy thing right now is oh also a man was just released the the longest um serving cannabis prisoner was released i think today um last prisoner project so if you follow the last prisoner project if you don't then you should um lastprisonerproject.org so that is you know in some places cannabis has been decriminalized but there are still people in jail for cannabis offenses and today oh i can't believe oh i saw it on i saw it on instagram anyway go to lastprisonerproject.org because it was a historic situation that the He's been in jail for 31 years, and he just got out. Um, ba, ba, ba. Yeah, here it is. Man serving life for marijuana offense to be set free. Think about that. America's longest. So Richard DeLisi's sentence is one of the longest ever handed down for a nonviolent crime involving marijuana. After 30 years behind bars and months of work by the Last Prisoner Project, the 71-year-old will be home with his family in December. He was given life in prison for a plant. For a plant. A plant. Yeah. 31 years of that meant he's. Yeah. I feel. I mean. There's no, what, restitu- there's there's no restitution. There's no restitution no. for taking 31 years away from a person for a plant. Yeah. Well, that's some good news, though. Yes, it? there is. It's, it's all good news. That's yeah. all good news. So, we're thank you, Stage Five Clinger. Thank you, <laughs> lawmakers who've been beating your head up against the wall for years and years. Thank you, activists. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Did you find the whale stream of consciousness? I did. And what else uh, did you ask me about? Babelfish. The Babelfish. So we did skip th- over that a yeah. bit. So, so let's get to the Babelfish. Okay, Babelfish. Because uh, it happens early when Arthur, we go back now to when Arthur and Ford first hitch a ride on the Vogon spaceship, right? Yeah. Uh, one of the first things Ford does is pull out what's called a Babel fish and stick it in Arthur's ear. Mm-hmm. To which Arthur, Arthur, you know, righteously freaks out. There's a little fish in his ear. Uh, right, he didn't know it was that kind of party. No, right, exactly. <laughs> or or what it was going to do. And then when it did it, it freaked him out even further. Because what a babelfish does is it it eats subconscious brain waves yeah. inside the person whose ear they're in. Yeah. And then excretes those brain waves into the brain, thereby allowing, after it's gone through the babelfish... The person whose ear it's in to understand any spoken language anywhere in the universe. I would do it in a heartbeat. And the funny thing about this is because the Babelfish was such a fun and neat little addition to this book, scientists, engineering types, Mm -hmm. programmers, went ahead and figured out how to do it. Mm -hmm. So there there is now software on Earth that you can put in your ear... You can go to any country that they've got the language for, programmed into this little Babelfish device, and speak freely with other humans, whose language you don't understand. What? That's a true thing. That happens today on Earth. Is it called Babelfish? That one of them is called Babel, I believe. I don't know if it still is. Babel, is, got Babel is a translation thing, I think. Yeah, but it's but it's based on the Babelfish. Right. They were Douglas Adams fans. 
Somebody shit. read this book and said, I'm going to fucking change the earth. And they did. Wow. Yup. All right. So that's the Babel fish. Okay. Uh, when they get, well, now we're back to Magrathea. Okay. Because when they get there, again, I mentioned earlier, the planet's closed. And in fact, yeah. they're, they're greeted with a very, uh, what, uh, an answering machine, kids, back in the day, was a box that used to sit on your table and your telephone was hooked into it. And if you weren't home, it would take a message for you. And you'd play it back and erase it and whatever. Yeah. So, but there was a very, very much like video voice uh, mail kind of message as they got to Magrathia from the proprietors of the planet saying, Oh, right, right, We're right. We're very much closed right now. Thanks for coming by. Right. Uh, to which Zaphod Beeblerocks is having none of. And they continue to head down towards the planet, which another message pops up that says, We appreciate your enthusiasm for visiting our planet. Uh, again, we are closed. <laughs> uh, we would, however, very much enjoy if you took these thermonuclear missiles we've launched directly down your throat as a token of our appreciation. <laughs> right. So now they've got a couple of thermonuclear missiles, and that does date the thing a bit because this is that was the most heinous thing on Earth in 1978 or whatever one of thing thermonuclear devices, and he transferred that into the book, and that's really the only thing that kind of dates. Oh, that still like sounds pretty two, bad. Little oh, it's still horrible, right? But like, why would that? Not, why would that? People don't it? use that verbiage anymore. Oh, the verbiage. Yeah. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. They right. just say nuclear. Yeah, exactly. Right. So thermonuclear ballistic missiles are launched. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's panicking. They're trying to outrun them. They're shaking them, but they're you know the, the missiles come back around. They're right. locked in. So Arthur, the most unex- inexperienced of the space travelers. Just decides to whack on the improbability drive button, even though nobody's ever done that without programming coordinates into it before. Right. And it basically removes them from the danger, turns them into the yarn bombs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or the yarn dolls, rather. And the bombs become a bowl of petunias. Oh, that's right. And a giant sperm whale. Oh, yeah. Which are now in orbit alongside the Heart of Gold above Magrathia. And they, of course, begin to descend because they don't have the anti-gravitational devices that the Heart of Gold does. Sure. And the whale, having been spontaneously called into existence, goes through a very much stream of consciousness, as you said, kind of out loud experience of his new yes. environment. Yes, and yes, yes. it is one of the most heart Oh, somebody Warming plays the and whale. Rending. Yeah, and I thought it was Eddie Izzard all of my life. And then we actually watched the credits the other day, and it absolutely isn't. And I don't remember who it is now. Was that Bill Bailey? Nope. Oh. I have no I'm idea. I'm just going to keep asking you, was that Bill Bailey? Really should have, yes. We probably should have looked at it. Yeah. No. I just want you to... No Googling okay. was the rule about this show. Sure. Right? That was not the rule? I don't, I don't make any rules. I just Google stuff just a minute ago. I just invented a rule <laughs> just so we could get out of being Mid-game? Like, mid-game. Mid-game? No more Googling. Okay. You reads and weeds guess. Stop it. I know you're Googling things. Okay, so go ahead. was your point? You want to read... Read that what stream the whale of consciousness says whale. to himself, what yes. the whale is thinking. The whale, what does the whale say to himself? <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, it's yeah, it's about uh, a little over a page, so. Okay. And I'm doing it on the fly, but here's okay, the thing. Go. Another thing that got forgotten was the fact that against all probability, 
a sperm whale had suddenly been called into existence several miles above the surface of an alien planet. And since this is not a naturally tenable position for a whale, this poor innocent creature had very little time to come to terms with its identity as a whale before it then had to come to terms with not being a whale anymore. This is a complete record of its thought from the moment it began its life until the moment it ended it. Ah, what's happening? It thought. Oh, excuse me. Who am I? Hello? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? What do I mean by who am I? Calm down. Get a grip now. Oh, this is an interesting sensation. What is it? It's sort of <laughs> yawning, tingling sensation in my... my. Well, I, I suppose I better start finding names for things if I want to make any headway. And for what... For the sake of what I shall call an argument, I shall call the world. So let's call it my stomach. Good. Oh, it's getting quite strong. And hey, what about this whistling, roaring sound going past what all suddenly going to call my head? Perhaps I can call that wind. Is that a good name? It'll do. Perhaps I can find a better name for it later when I find out what it's for. It must be something very important because there certainly seems to be a hell of a lot of it. Hey, what's this thing? This, let's, let's call it a tail. Yeah, tail. Hey, I could really thrash it about pretty good, can't I? <laughs> wow, wow, that feels great. Doesn't seem to achieve very much, but I'll probably find out what it's for later on. Now, have I built up any coherent picture of things yet? No, never mind. Hey, this is really exciting. So much to find out about. So much to look forward to. I'm quite dizzy with anticipation. Oh, or no. is it the wind? Oh, there really is an awful lot of that now, isn't there? And wow, hey, what's this thing suddenly coming towards me very fast? Very, very fast. So big and flat and round. It needs a big, wide-sounding name like Ow. Owned. Ground. Ground. That's it. That's a good name. Ground. I wonder if it'll be friends with me. And the rest, after a sudden wet thud, was oh, silence. No. Oh, no. Curiously, though, the only thing that went through the mind of the bowl of, petun bowl of petunias as it fell was, oh, no. Not, Not again. again. Oh, yeah. Many people have speculated that if we knew exactly why the bowl of petunias had thought that, we would know a lot more about the nature of the universe than we do now. And that is no joke, as we find out two books later. Oh my goodness gracious. So that is, that's a really good microcosm of the Douglas Adams writing style. It's ridiculous, but it's so deeply well thought oh, out. Yeah. Oh, it's great. That the ridiculousness of it you like wish you had thought of how ridiculous that is. Oh, that's yeah. how it's I felt whale? about this. Falling through space that never got to be in water, understand why he was a whale. Nope. And when he started figuring out that he was a whale. But fully sentient, fully grown. Yeah. It's got a full size, fully developed brain that it's yeah. like having to discover in the moments. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. So, um. I wonder if it'll be friends with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Arthur so is. So, the mice, like, get Arthur. 
and they want his brain because he's yes. the last we're human. Back, yes, we're back at Magrathia. So we're in there. We've met Slaughterbart Fest. Yes. They're touring the facility. Arthur sees how planets are made. Where This is all synopsizing because we've been really deep geeking yeah, this yeah, thing yeah, the whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it turns out the mice, being as smart as they are, figure, hey, we've got a human who was on the planet yeah. seconds before it was blown up. So all of that data is up in there. Trillian's yeah. brain won't work. She left months ago. Right, right, right. So, But Arthur, they can recover the data. Right, and he is clueless, of course. It's these mice thinking mm-hmm. like, it'd be like if you were a engineer and suddenly you could just talk to a microchip. <laughs> you could talk to a piece of a microchip. And you'd be like, let me just pluck you out of here and mm. you, you know so they're treating him kind of like a mite like is this guy useful let's pluck things out of his brain yeah and they're gonna like take part of his brain literally just take his whole brain and they because they, they want to find out what the question is what is the they're question still searching for the and question and he's just saying I I don't know um, what is nine times six so how about, <laughs> how about says, what is six times seven 40 well it's 42 but it's a little spot on Right, right. What's six times nine? Because what it turns right. out is these hyper-intelligent, pan-dimensional beings right. really want, out of all of this question-and-answer discovery stuff, is to make the chat show circuit. Right, and be right. be famous and have yes. the fame and fortune so they're no better than Zaphod, as it turns out. Oh, yeah. So all they want is an answer. They don't care what it is. Sure, a question. Sure. As yeah. long as it fits. Something they can market. So he says, how many rows must a man log down? And they're like, oh, oh that's pretty good, actually. Oh, that oh, might work. We uh, can do that. <laughs> What's the ultimate question? How many roads? Okay, yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good question. Okay, okay. Well, later, you know, and they, they're satisfied. Um, let's see. Oh, <laughs> They start getting attacked again by the Vogons, oh, and yes. Marvin um, blasts them with the point of view gun, and they all get Marvin depressed. Marvin the paranoid android, the most depressed being in the universe. And they all get sad. They just <laughs> like, lay down. Too sad to fight. Just lay down and start crying. Oh, earlier in the book, they're about to go to war, but it's then it's lunchtime. <laughs> they have to go to Oh, yeah, lunch. to get to point to how bureaucratic the Vogons yeah. are. Mm. Yeah, like, they finally, they've got a, they're chasing Zaphod because he kidnapped, he didn't just steal the ship, he kidnaps himself. Yeah. He declares on national galactic television, I hereby kidnap myself and the ship. Yeah. Okay, come on, I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And flies away, so they're literally hunting him for kidnapping himself. So he's not only the, the victim, he's also the kidnapper. But kidnapper outweighs yeah. victim in these in the bureaucrats' mind. So every time they see him, they just start shooting, even though they're supposed to. Oh, and there's, so there's, and a, there's a there's a fun little inside joke just about like sort of Star Wars type things is because they're always just like running away from thousands of people shooting laser guns at him, but no one ever gets hit <laughs> ever, and. Um, they're afraid to run out there, and Marvin's just like, oh, you know, everybody knows they're worse than the... They're the worst marksmen in the universe, the Vogons. But I, but I, but he doesn't he compare them to, like... Um... No, that was me. Oh, that was you. That was me making Stormtrooper jokes oh. while I watched the movie. <laughs> oh, 
I, I think I said they're worse than stormtroopers. Oh, they're worse than stormtroopers. Right. Stormtroopers yeah. are not. They're terrible shots. They're terrible, terrible shots. Shot. Just terrible. So, like, picture like, worse than stormtrooper shooting. I used to hang out with all these stormtroopers like a few years ago. <laughs> But then we, I was like, you know, it's back when everybody was doing laser tag a lot. And I'm like, you really want a stormtrooper on your team. But it turns out they're not that good. Yeah. They're noisy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Their suits make a lot of Bright noise. Right freaking white. You can see them everywhere except a snowstorm. They're hard to disguise. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the Empire thought it through. They didn't. Well, things were different then. Um, <laughs> let's see. It's a different time. Um, ba, ba, ba. Uh, so the, Marvin shoots them. Yes. With the point of view gun. Yes. The entire army lays down depressed. Uh, the mice have been uh, dispatched through, as it turns out, human brute force. Turns out we're still really good at that, even in, oh, <laughs> even they in got the smashed. universe. Yeah. They get smashed, right? Arthur gets, as they're trying to take his brain, Arthur gets free. And just smashes them with a t- with an armchair. With an, oh, uh, that's with the, right. The arm of a chair. Right. Uh, and so they're flattened out, little mice, and then they turn into their pan-dimensional shapes, and then right, they just dissolve right. away. And sure, then, sure. So now the contractor is no longer the client for the contractor is no longer alive. Uh, and the folks at Magrathea want to know uh, if Arthur. Would like to see any changes since he's the only, he was the last Earth man oh, on the planet. Oh, right. And he's like, leave it. I'm going to take off, though. And he bolts. Oh, my god. Gets gosh. on, he gets back on the ship. And, and that's true out. to the book, right? Yeah. That's oh, true yeah. to the book. That's dead on. Uh, wow. That's the beauty of it is. Wow. Being trapped on the planet the whole time without knowing you're trapped. Uh, being this very banal Go to work, pay your bills, knock your head on the same spot on your stairway every day because you're just a simple-ass human being. Yeah, Arthur Dent, by the way, um, is wearing, like, he was laying on the ground in his bathrobe. It's the first thing in the morning. So he's wearing, like, pajamas and a bathrobe through the entire novel. And his towel. And Yeah, his towel. (laughs) It's like you just walked out of a shower. Yes, yes. Yeah, and so he's having all these huge adventures in like earth clothes, slightly hungover. Um, yeah, it's just like n- there's no bit of superhero about no anything like that. There's there's that never really happens. But what a fascinating thing to think about! Like, oh, we're redoing Earth and the place you live and everything. And what would you like for it to be like? What would you it's, like different about it? He's like, yeah. Is me not being here. That's it. I'm out. Yeah. Leave it. And it's and it's funny because if you take it if you were to scale that down and just have it be a bypass coming through his house and you kept everything on a small scale, bureaucracy on a small scale, your love story on a small scale, mm-hmm. another guy who's slightly more important than him on a right. small scale. It's that same storyline, but just galactic. Galactically turned on its oh, yeah. head. Exactly right. Oh, yeah. Well, that, it kind of goes to my point from earlier about um, Adam's just thinking about the everyday in a context that is literally otherworldly. Yeah. Many other worlds. The oversimplification of the conversation that we've just had about this book 
and also the kind of scattered timeline of it that we've had. Oh, just, yeah, just having yeah, fun yeah. talking about oh, yeah, it. You yeah, know? Yeah. Believe me, folks, if you've never read this stuff, dive in. There, I mean, it's spoilers, funny. okay, but you will have forgotten all of this by the time you get through like the first couple of chapters. The well, plus, writing is so good. Well, plus I think I've I've had a couple people who that don't love the writing, but it's like I think I had to let go of wanting books to be a certain way. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh, mm-hmm. if I'm reading a serious book of literature, like, uh, this is too fun. It's too silly. But it's like, no, no, no. Oh. He's saying everything. Mm. He's saying everything that needs to be said. <laughs> He's just doing it like almost slapsticky. In an entertaining fashion. Oh, yes. You yes. Are, if you don't learn something from this book, Oh yeah. You took it too lightly. You yeah. did not you you got lost in the style and you didn't spend enough time in the text. That's yes. according that's how I feel about it. Yes. Because so, I do get those people who say things like that that oh it's just camp, it's just silly, it's just sci-fi. Okay, those things are true, but it's also deeply philosophical. Well, and it's I think it's really refreshing to see because sci-fi is fun, but oh, it's also great. very serious sometimes. Like everybody is right. Yes. And so I love it that they're just sort of, you know, like like space balls. You know, they're just like right. having a blast mm-hmm. and being like not being great at things. Not even and even the the killers are, aren't full of malice. It's right. more just like. Another form of bumbling idiot yeah, trying to the, get by. Yeah, like the the guards yeah. in the hallway talking about like, well, do you like your job? Well, we get to shout <laughs> and stomp and, and, stomp and, and shout. Like, and a lot of shouting today. The hours are pretty good. The hours are good. Yeah, yeah. and and oh, it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. So okay, uh, I just it was hard for me to remember when this one ended because you know. That I started listening to the second book, yes. the restaurant at the end of the universe, the restaurant and so at the it's, end of the universe. Yeah, and it's just blended through in my mm. mind because I finished that one today. Well, there are and five whole books, five whole books, and one short story if you buy the hard copy compendium. And you gifted me these. I did. Very you had to have sweet. them. You said Very you'd only sweet. read the first book, and it was years and years and years ago. It was. And we had and to fix I'm, that. Yeah, it was a hoot. It was a hoot. It was exactly like what I needed to be reading right now. You know, it's as serious as everything is or feels mm-hmm. if you tune into certain wavelengths here in December 2020. It's as serious as things can feel. This is like just lightens it up it just lightens it up it's like oh no 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 the world exploded you know like yeah. let's move on now <laughs> you know like next next thing and it mattered nothing right, right. to 99.9999% of the rest of the universe yeah it didn't mean anything yeah they didn't even know we were here right right it's uh it's fun perspective it's fun perspective yes so we read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and talked about it today on Reads and Weeds. The next one is The Restaurant at the End of the Universe and then Life, the Universe, and Everything, mm-hmm. I think, followed by Mostly Harmless. And then the final one, I think, is So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. Correct. Right? That's the order. So 
if you haven't listened to these in a while, they're available, and Martin Freeman doing them is so good. Um, and yeah, and the movie's funny too. So could be a good holiday read or holiday road trip listen, I think. And uh, if you can get a hold of some Stage 5 Clinger, I think you'd be very happy oh, about yeah, that. Oh, yeah, super stoked about that. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, wait, before we get it right, I was wrong. Yes, what? Uh, Mostly Harmless is the last book. Oh, Mostly so Harmless So Long and Thanks book. for All the Fish, book number four. Okay, okay. Uh, so um, I, I can't go out like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to... Uh, like, oh, you just need to correct I it. I needed to correct that. Oh, yeah. okay, I mean, okay. You know, there's going to be at least one more, one level up geek higher sure. than me listening to this sure. right now. going to be like, it's gonna be oh like... my God, he just totally got the order of the books wrong. I can't trust the thing this man said. <laughs> that guy sounds cool. Yeah, he sounds pretty cool to me. <laughs> I'd hang out with him. Especially over these Pim's Cups. I know. And hey, snack tray. thanks, Pim's Cups. Thanks, snack trays. Thanks, Reeds and Weeds listeners and Douglas Adams. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. So much fun. Thanks for letting me talk about the greatest book of all time. <laughs> Woo! All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Reeds and Weeds is presented by Silly Little Girl Productions.